0: Another weekend of OHL hockey in the books. My name is Mike Farwell. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. I'm hoping that the fine folks in Hamilton are actually listening to this podcast today because I'm not sure they listened to anything I said over the past week. Maybe, maybe the people of Hamilton are Lake City Council in Hamilton. I don't know, but I didn't mean to offend anybody. Okay, maybe I did. Hamilton, take a breath. Don't be so damn sensitive. And let's talk about your bulldogs, which I think might um, might end up in Brantford, kind of, sort of, sort of, kind of, permanently. But Dan, I'll start with you and your thoughts on the situation that's unfolded, and now what we know for sure: three years at least, the bulldogs will be playing in Brantford.
1: Well, yeah. First and foremost, it's a terrible situation to have put the franchise in, and and you've referenced Michael and Lara a number of times, and the the efforts he's put in to keep that franchise going and uh, so tip of the cap right off the bat for finding a solution in relatively short order here and as good a solution probably as they could come up with to give the Hamilton fans a chance to still be in reasonable driving distance and get to see their team and also give another community a shot that may be able to support one so I think I have to think the folks in Brantford are looking at this as a huge opportunity but it's just a mess whenever you find out you lost your home arena for two to three years. Yeah, and for me, I I can understand why
0: Hamiltonians might have gotten a little bit upset. I put out on Twitter last week that, you know, sorry, Hamilton, but I hope the Bulldogs never come back. It's nothing against the people of Hamilton. And in all honesty, I hate to see a team removed from a city at any time because I can only imagine what that feels like as I sit here in the comfy confines of the city of Kitchener where there's never been a threat, nor will there ever be a threat of the Rangers no longer being a part of the fabric, really, of the community. But when I said what I said, I said it for one of the reasons you alluded to, Dan. What you have here, in my opinion, is a guy like Michael Landlauer, who is essentially a model owner in the Ontario Hockey League. I mean, just look at what he's done for the players and for the staff that are part of that Bulldogs franchise. Look at the the way the franchise has been run with two OHL championships in the past five years, et cetera, and then counter that with the way City Council has treated Michael Landlauer and the Hamilton Bulldogs. I wouldn't even call them second-class citizens in the city. I'd call them afterthoughts at, at the very best because I don't think anybody on City Council cares a damn about junior hockey in the city. And, you know, somebody that pushed back at me when I was making those comments on Twitter last week said, you know, shared renderings of what First Ontario Centre is going to look like and said, you know, the city won't be hurting. And I get that. I'm not saying it's going to be. I, the renovations look great. Those renderings were beautiful. The point is, you've got a tenant there. And and this is a tenant. I'll, I'll tell you two things before I throw it back over to you. First of all, First Ontario Centre, or COPS, as it will always be known to so many people, is not a right-sized arena for junior hockey. It worked out great in the OHL championship last year with Windsor and Hamilton going seven games and set a record for attendance, which is awesome. It was great back in that 1990 Memorial cup when fans from Oshawa and Kitchener both traveled in and you had the place packed with like 17,000 people. Like those were, were great little one-offs, but the reality is that the arena was built for the national hockey league team that, never showed up, is never going to show up. I think that gives Hamilton a bit of an inferiority complex, if I'm honest with you. But the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, Michael Adlauer, had said, you know what, I'm willing to build a right-sized arena, a right-sized junior hockey arena for this city. And he was going to do it with his own money. He was putting up $30 million of his own money. And city council says, nah, we're good. Then they announce that they're going to renovate First Ontario Centre and in so doing, the lacrosse team, the basketball team, and the hockey team have to get the hell out. And Michael Landlauer says, look, I'll work with you here. I'll work around the renovations. Nope, you got to find another place to play. So that's why I say just with that kind of treatment from city officials and city leaders, why would you go back? I'll tell you this much too, real quick. I spoke with the mayor of Brantford last week, and he is over the moon. He He worked really hard to court the Bulldogs to the telephone city in Brantford. Michael and would have had other options, I think, for the reason you already mentioned, Dan, it makes some sense that, you know, geographically, it's not that far a drive for some of the fans in Hamilton, but the city of Brantford has demonstrated that it's very interested in having junior hockey back so. You start putting those pieces together, and I'm I'm wondering if after three years, because it only needed to be two, but they decided to make it a three-year deal in Brantford, because you never know how the renos are going to go, and you don't want to be in a situation two years from now where you have to figure it out. So, three years, you're in a city where they show how much they like you, they show you some respect. I don't know, you want to go back to the place that kicked you around for the last
1: five years? I don't know that I would. Well, if it's anything like my kitchen rental, Mike, they better make it six years. But, but no, I I, I I, don't want to joke too much about this because I know how much junior hockey means to some fans. And when we talk about the Hamilton City Council doesn't necessarily deserve this team. Maybe the, the fans do it. Hey, I grew up where the Belleville Bulls were my second team. I spent a lot of time there. A lot of family went to games there, the whole bit, and saw how devastating it was to that community to lose them. And it had nothing to do with the fans. The fans didn't deserve it. It was a dithering city council, similar situation with a council that just isn't engaged in hockey, doesn't value it. And too often, I think we see these elected officials think of junior hockey, major junior hockey. We're talking OHL here, as minor hockey or something that, you know, just down the list, doesn't really register with them, doesn't interest them. It's kids' hockey to them. Not a big deal, not a revenue generator. But I think any good elected official understands their community and the segments of the community that enjoy these things and and what it does for the economy and whatnot. So again, this comes almost comes back to a point of when you're when you're voting in those municipal elections, all one in five of you, maybe consider that you have to elect people that take these things seriously and have an idea of what we're dealing with here because you're right. Some of these councils don't deserve it and frankly probably don't even care about it, but that doesn't do anything for the fans who do and who really want that, that product in their city. So so I'm with you, Mike. That council really should be ashamed with how they've handled Michael Landlauer and the franchise. And for the sake of everyone that supported that franchise, let's hope that things change over the next two to three years.
0: Obviously you and I are coming at this from a position of some bias because we do love major junior hockey. We recognize the benefits to a community, but I'll go back again and talk about the conversation I had last week with Kevin Davis, the mayor of Brantford who talked about some of the things that you just mentioned, Dan, and that is the economic impact of having major junior hockey in your city, the surrounding businesses that are going to benefit for this. And anybody that rolls their eyes and says, yeah, Been there, done that in Brantford. Fair. But the Brantford Alexanders left in 1984. So we're talking about 40 years ago here. It is a much different city. It has a casino, which helps out on the revenue side, but it's a city that is coming back into it. The the life is coming back into it in a much more meaningful way than it was back in 1984 when things were we're pretty rough economically and otherwise in Brantford. So you've got a city in a different position and I'll take it the step further. I mentioned the right sized junior hockey arena that Michael Andlauer was going to be building in Hamilton or offered to build in Hamilton. I think if we're being honest, there is a right sized junior hockey market as well. And I'm just not sure Hamilton is it.
1: Uh, it's a fair question. Uh, you, you know, you talk about these Larger cities, by a population standpoint, that that haven't necessarily had the best crowd turnouts for these products over the years, and you wonder you have, you have to wonder why. And but when we talk about these right sized arenas for junior hockey and kind of an underserviced sized facility in general, that eight to twelve thousand seater, whatever it might be, that's kind of on the high end for junior, but it still gives the community a great economic driver for attracting shows, concerts, you name it. Uh, just this weekend, Mike, I know you were you were on the road with the Rangers. I happen to be in the same city as you in St. Catharines for a different hockey tournament. And in the elevator in the hotel, I struck up a conversation with a number of people that had driven to St. Catharines just to see that game between an, an eighth and a tenth place team. Paying money for hotels, paying money for restaurants, filling up at their gas stations, all those things. So getting these right sized arenas is good for the community, whether you believe in the hockey or not. And coming back to the Hamilton point, I just some of these things are cyclical and you see a few big Hamilton boys coming up in the NHL right now. And sometimes that's all it takes to trigger that younger audience. Hamilton's had two extremely successful years in the last four seasons. Now they've got a couple local kids in the NHL this year making a name for themselves. And sometimes that's all it takes to spur it on. And we saw when the Blue Jays had their run there in in 2015, 2016, how that worked for registration in baseball in Canada. So these things tend to be cyclical. And I got to believe that blue-collar town like Hamilton is with some of the hockey history, that it would come back with the right arena, the right situation, which they were starting to build. I'm going to
0: come back to the Niagara Ice Dogs as a franchise and the city of St. Catharines a little bit later on. So put a pin in that because there's a conversation worth having. But I think your point is well taken. And this is why I know that fans from Hamilton will still travel to Brantford, I believe, to see junior hockey in a nearby market because there's always going to be that core, that hardcore, of major junior hockey fans. And it, maybe maybe it'll be Mississauga they travel to. I'm sure the, the fans that really want junior hockey in Hamilton will find a way to get it. Even Kitchener's a nice easy drive, Guelph, et cetera. it's a geographically it's a nice spot. The other thing that I would think about when it comes to Brantford, not only do you have, you know, the leader of a council and the mayor that's really excited. in fact, I'll just say one more thing about our conversation. He told me flat out that it is his expressed intent to bring the OHL back to Brantford, whether it's the Bulldogs or somebody else. So take that for what it is, but he wants to see the OHL back in his city. The other thing about this move for the Bulldogs, not only are they adding the extra year just in case that renovation isn't quite ready after two but there are three additional one-year options that the Bulldogs and Michael Andlauer can exercise so three could become four four could become five five could become six and also Michael Andlauer is putting up many millions of his own dollars to help with the upgrades to the Brantford civic center. Now it's still not going to be ideal. It's a 3000 seat arena, which makes it even smaller than the Harry Lumley Bay shore community center in Owen sound. So Brantford will become home to the smallest arena size wise. But is there an opportunity for expansion there? Do they start talking about a new arena slash entertainment center in Brantford? I don't know down the road. I just look again at the way Hamilton city council for years has treated Michael Landlauer and the Bulldogs and the way they're being received right now in Brantford. And I I just think go to a community that wants you and go to a right-sized community, because I'm just not certain that Hamilton is it. You go back to the Dukes, go back to the Steelhawks. You go back to the Cups, You go back to the Red Wings. You go back to the failed attempts to bring NHL hockey to Hamilton. Maybe. Maybe hockey just doesn't work there. Maybe it's all Oski Wee Wee and the Hamilton Tiger Cats for the Steel City. I don't know. But if I'm Michael Landlauer, I am not too anxious to be looking backwards. I'm looking at everything that's happening in Brantford and seeing seeing if I can make it work there.
1: Yeah, well, it's a really interesting debate because I mean, really, to make ho- hockey work in any community, it's a triangle, right? You need you need financial backing, you need political backing, and you need community backing. Which one of those points in that triangle are absent in Hamilton? I think we've already pointed pointed to the political, and sometimes that has trickle-down effects into the other two points in that triangle. Obviously, Mike Landlauer had the financial commitment there, and you're looking at a place like Brantford where certainly two of the three points are in place with the financial backing, the political backing, and the community backing would seem to me to be the easiest one to get. And we know Brantford has supported hockey you know, they hockey have fabulous hockey tournaments over there with their minor hockey program, uh, Walter and Wayne Gretzky legacy there in that community. And then you have a huge drawing area with relatively easy access through the 400 series of highways through, you know, and Norfolk County and a lot of this drawing area like you have in Owen Sound. So I I'd be nervous if I were Hamilton and maybe their council isn't, maybe they don't care. Uh, I'd be nervous that you have someone nearby making a real push that seems to want to work with Michael and Lauer and how long before, that starts to work because they've got a lot more will. And when there's a will, there's a way. And I don't know that there's a will right now in Hamilton.
0: Let me throw this curveball at you. We didn't talk about it before starting this podcast today. But if indeed this does become permanent, can the Brantford Bulldogs, by the way, they're calling themselves the Brantford Bulldogs, even for the next three years. That tells me something as well can they possibly remain in the Eastern conference if this is a long-term thing? We might have to get the realignment conversation going again, Dan.
1: Well, I mean, if you're just going from a logic common sense standpoint, there's absolutely no way you cannot have Brantford in the same conference as Kitchener, Guelph, London, some, some of the, <laughs> the nearby centers where there'd be natural rivalries, but who knows With the current alignment, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. So you never know, but, uh, I'm not going to go to the Alexander's. I I, I think Alan Bester somewhere's got to be uh, disagreeing with that decision. So
0: <laughs> that's the next Brentford Alexander I want to get on this podcast. We've had Rick Natris so far. That's it, but we'll find some others along the way. Okay, you mentioned uh, hockey success a moment ago. Before we move on to our next topic, I want to talk about a little bit of success because. In the past five years, there is one goaltending school that has seen five of its students drafted to the National Hockey League, 10 of its students attending National Hockey League camps, nine students who have signed pro contracts, and 28 more who have been drafted into the OHL. That's just in the past five years, Dan. And that has all happened at Matt Smith goaltending locations in Cambridge and in Waterloo. Now Matt, I know that you also know well Dan from his time in the Ontario Hockey League. He was an OHL champion with the Kitchener Rangers, he was a Sutherland Cup champion with the Elmira Sugar Kings, but more to the point now, he's started this goaltending school and and in the past 5 years he kind of decided that it needed a little bit of a change of direction. He's going to take a more individualized one-on-one approach. So he works with the kids, he becomes that sounding board for them and then he's developing The kinds of numbers we just talked about, five students drafted to the show, 10 attending camps, nine signing pro contracts, 28 making it into the OHL, which is that stepping stone. And all of this happening at Matt Smith Goaltending Incorporated right here in the community that we call home. They've got the real ice 30 by 50 foot surface for training on, which gives you a really nice, realistic training environment. And again, that one-on-one, individualized approach. You can learn more about it by just visiting mattsmithgoaltending.com. But I just wanted to remind you, if there's a young goalie in your life, maybe that's something that you want to give some thought to.
1: Yeah, and, and Matt's fighting the uh, good fight against the European goalie factory. So seeing those numbers is all the more impressive when you see, consider how many uh, goalies are coming out of Europe. So to do it in Canada right now is is staggering. So that one-on-one training you can get is can do wonders for your young goaltender.
0: Once again, it's mattsmithgoaltending.com. Okay, let's shift gears here and talk about something that I am, I am loath to talk about. I I recognize that you know I've developed a bit of a reputation over the years as being somebody who will complain quite a bit about three stars, uh, and who has been known to complain on more than one occasion about officiating. I'm really working on dialing that back because look. I know how hard these guys work. I know how much training they do, but the reality is we were both at a game last week. It was the only game in the Ontario hockey league that night. And the crew that was sent across the board. I mean, I remember two occasions during that game where a delayed penalty was like the ref's arm was in the air and play was blown dead when the wrong team had the puck. I just, it didn't make sense to me. So everybody in my opinion, it was having an off night on that four-man crew. And when it's the only game you've got in the league, look, I know people need time off and whatnot, but boy, oh boy, there were scouts from 18 NHL teams in that arena a week ago Tuesday. There was a very high-profile general manager in the arena. And I can tell you from press row, that general manager during some of the stoppages when this crew was trying to figure some stuff out, was looking up and down press row with a very confused look on his face and i'm like uh i can't help you here yes these are the players that you would like to see in in your league in the future this is what they're dealing with in their league today it was just not a good night everybody's entitled to a bad one but each is all i can say
1: yeah and i'm with you mike i hate i hate to belabor the point too often because it tends to to get old and tired at times. But when it's called for, it gets called for. And that was, I think, fair to say the worst officiated game I've seen in the league this year. And uh, there's probably been a couple others that I didn't see, but that was really poor. Uh, The standard was really low compared to what we have seen, which I felt has been quite high this year in general. And uh, so here's an idea for you that marries the two concepts. How about we have a a three stars of the week for officials and, and we actually give them some credit where it's due when they have a really good game you say hey that game was good they, they they generally got it right let's let's point that out so we can start to to separate the pack from those that are doing a good job and those weren't but that that game Tuesday sure did not cast the officiating in this league in a great light in front of the folks you were talking about well
0: and you mentioned maybe the worst that you've seen in the league this year and we've already talked about the sense that it's been pretty high so I guess we could you know, hope or make the argument that it's a, you know, it's an anomaly. It's a bit of a one-off here, but look, you just, all anybody asks for in a game from coaches to players is consistency. Fans want it too. And if they see a call going against their team for one thing, they want to see it going against the other team for that same thing. Not only did we lack consistency in that particular game, but I think we lost all sense of what a penalty even is in that game.
1: I would hundred percent agree. And, and the worst part about it, Mike, is it snowballs because you get players that see this. They don't know what the standard is. They they see three or four slashes and cross checks right in front of the official go uncalled. Then a gentle tap gets called. So after that happens a couple times, the frustrations come out, the mouths start running, things start happening. And then it snowballs from there. There's more penalties. There's more of, vitriol between the officials and the benches and it just turns into a bit of a proverbial gong show uh out there and and that's not what anyone wants no one no one wants to see the game them lose to control the game and that to be the storyline so it's it just it's not an easy job it's hard at this pace at this flow but you're right just simple consistency and the ones where a ref's looking right at it doesn't call it then looking right at it later and calls it that that's simple consistency I and mean, they seem to get it wrong consistently in that game. And, and we don't wanna to see too many of those games because just devalues the product. There are,
0: the point on snowball effect is right on the money. And I was gonna mention the same. There are two other points that I wanna take this, but what you just said too about, you know, the, the impact on the game itself, like from those who were observing it from 18 different pro teams, you got to wonder like is this the league that we want players to develop in if this is what they're dealing with but two things that stood out to me that I wanted to make sure we touched on one is the the egregious in my opinion failure to get the call right even after a video review they assessed the player a 5 minute major and a game misconduct for cross checking when absolutely a cross check and a retaliatory one at that but it never hit the opponent's face. It was about a 45 degree angle shoulder on down through the midsection. And listen, if you're going to look at it on video, you sure as heck better get it right. And that's a costly moment in a game.
1: Yeah. And you know, I got to ask myself all the time, like how hard is it? Because you see this happen all the time, at the NHL level, quite frankly, with the whole goaltender interference reviews and, Just zero consistency. And it doesn't seem to me to be that hard to establish pretty solid criteria. Sure, you're going to have some gray area calls where you're like, I'm not sure, was it, wasn't it? The angle wasn't great. And then you have the referee's judgment to lean on. But some of these are pretty black and white. And one night it's called this way, the other night it's called complete opposite way. And it would seem to me fairly easy to get these things right when you have video replay because. Most of the fans can look at it and be in complete agreement, regardless of which team you're supporting. Say, yeah, that definitely was not a cross check to the face or that was not that difficult. I don't think when you're looking at the iPad, but apparently it is.
0: I think one of the things they need to do is speed up that process. We've seen these reviews taking far too long and that ties into something where I, I have a concern with it and I'll be honest up front. I don't like video review at all. Anyway, I get that we have the technology to get it right all the time even though sometimes we miss it even on video. But I I would rather just let humans officiate the game because humans are playing it. I know that ship has sailed. But on the point of how long it's been taking lately, I think, obviously, the longer you look at something, the more likely you are to find something wrong with it. But also, when you're going into these reviews, and I think you and I have talked about this before, Dan, you're going into the review with the idea that you're supposed to find something wrong with it. Well, if that's what you're going in with the idea of, it's pretty likely that you will find something. And I'm also concerned just because of the emphasis on player safety, which I fully support. Don't get me wrong here, but I think that they go into this and if it's any possibility that it could go the other way, they're like, we don't call this. We're going to get blasted from the league offices when they see it. So we better go with the major and just deal with the fallout here during the game, instead of being, disciplined later from the league office for something that we might have missed. And I, I don't know that's the right dynamic for those officials on the ice in the game.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Cause there was a coach very recently who made that comment post game saying that the official had explained it to him, that that's how the league would like us to call this, which suggests the referee doesn't necessarily agree with it. Didn't necessarily see that but erred on the side of the way they've been guided by the league. And so maybe when you leave too much open to interpretation, that that is in the back of the officials' minds as they're trying to make that call. So I'm not sure that was a cross-check to face, but I kind of think the league's wanting us to err on the side of player safety and make calling it what it was. But really, it shouldn't be that hard to make a judgment call and stand by it based on the replays you saw. And you got to look at both sides of the coin. Sure, there's a player safety issue. But in the call, you're referencing there, Mike, from Tuesday, there was no injury, there was no danger there. And you're talking about kicking a key player out of the game, potentially suspended. So there's all all kinds of implications on the other side of that coin, too. So how about just saying, looking with your two eyes and saying, that didn't seem to meet the criteria for major? Not worrying about what's in the back of your head about, is someone else going to second-guess this call, or did they want me to see this a different way? Because you're right, that does influence what they're what they're seeing one way or the other.
0: I should point out that as we're having this conversation, the general manager of the Kitchener Rangers, this was a game between Sarnia and Kitchener, and Mike McKenzie, GM for the Rangers wanted to have a conversation with the media after the game about the officiating. look, you can say all you want about sour grapes because his team lost. It was a five, one game. So it's not like the call dictated the game by any stretch of the imagination, but he wanted to sound off a little bit about how he felt about what transpired on the ice. If a general manager is looking for the opportunity to express to the media, his concerns that suggests, this is just more than our eye test, Dan that saw something fishy with that particular game.
1: Yeah. And I always have trouble with this, Mike, because you, you never want to sound like Homer and, and just pick on a game where, you know, a team we may support seem to get jobbed. It happens to every team. I recognize that it happens across the league. It is not against any one team. It just so happened that in this particular game, it was very poor. There, there was not really two ways about it. There was, it was a poorly officiated game, a lot of mistakes. It was, it was not the standard you'd expect of this league. And I think that, is why we're calling. You have to kind of shed light on these things because there just can't be too many of those games or the league's going to need to do something about it.
0: The other thing I want to bring up in this conversation gets to root causes, which we talk about in so many other parts of our society these days. But I think there's a root cause that we need to address here when it comes to a conversation like this around officiating. Again, I'm talking about a crew that in my opinion that night was not at its best. They do a job that is in front of, in this case, you know, 14,000 eyeballs, and it's not the easiest job in the world. And they'll probably acknowledge when they have a rough night. I, I work in a, a similar environment where, you know, the the running gag in my business is every time you turn on the microphone, you're putting your resume on the air. Mm-hmm. And a week ago Saturday in Erie, let me tell you what, I hope nobody heard that resume because I was having a bad night and it's it's going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you when it happens. I'm like, you know what, Farwell, that was not your best broadcast. Hopefully you're going to be better the next time after that. These guys will probably acknowledge it as well. But I think we really need to consider further back in the process before these guys even get to this level and we can have a mature and civilized conversation about them having an off night if we want the next crop of referees that have fewer off nights, we really have to start considering our treatment of them. When we're at a tournament, the likes of which you talked about just this past weekend, Dan in St. Catharines, where you've got some minor hockey players out there, kids that are 10 to 14 years old that are never going anywhere to the OHL or to the pros. So just, they're just out there having some fun and the way that, that fans and parents treat those officials might, might be causing us to mick, miss the next best ones to come through the system.
1: That outstanding point, Mike, I'm really glad, glad you raised raised. I know it's the OHL podcast, but if I can divert for two seconds, just say about this, uh, the Kevin Fegan Memorial tournament in St. Catharines this weekend, highest standard of officiating. I think I've ever seen at a minor hockey tournament, uh, terrific across the board. Every game we were in, every game we watched, the officials were just incredible. Good with the benches, good with the kids, got the calls right for the most part. I mean, you're going to miss an offside or thing here and there, but incredibly high standard of officiating. Kudos to that crew, those crews in St. Catharines. But the interesting piece that you just mentioned, Mike, was after the our final game, the referees were staying in the hallway. I just went down to say that to them. You know, you guys did a great job. Thanks for doing these games. We're short on referees in minor hockey. And the referee, who this gentleman was a little older, probably 60 years old approximately, and he he took off his helmet and he kind of pointed over at the crowd and he said, can you go tell them that? And he and I thought he was kidding, and I kind of laughed. He goes, no, seriously, he goes, they need to hear that because all the time they feel entitled. He goes, I don't know what it is about our profession that people feel entitled to yell and scream at us over every little mistake, and it's driving us out of the game and and we're having trouble getting officials. And he went on to say that he was a high school teacher and he teaches, he coaches high school sports and he really believes in respect and decorum and how we can't have those conversations in the hockey arena where just everything goes out the window. And so it's a very valid point. And to hear that heartfelt appeal from from a gentleman like this who's clearly very experienced just leads to your point, Mike, that that we have to do better job with officials growing up because if we screen them out of the game at a young age, we're going to have a shallower pool. We're going to have a much harder time getting the right officials to the right levels without having chips on their shoulder and and some of these games that that we're seeing like we did on Tuesday. So it's a very valid point, Mike, about where it starts.
0: Fantastic story. Can't add a thing to it. Great, great story to share in this context. Okay. So we're going to move on from this and now I'm actually going to basically do what we just talked about not doing. I'm going to yell and scream about something and it's really, really selfish. So let me start with the acknowledgement that yes, I'm, I'm a pretty lucky person to do what I do. And I, I promise you that in doing what I do, if I show up at an arena and I find a warm cup of coffee and something, something decent, like that looks like food, a slice of pizza, I I recognize that it's, it's a sign of my privilege that I can go into quote unquote work and eat for free before I do my job. Now, in fairness, when I go to work, it's it's lunch or dinner time, the way this league works. But I just, I want you to know that I, I don't take it for granted. And if you want to blast me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL, email us right here at the podcast, OHLpodcast at com. I, I don't think that I'm entitled to anything, but here's the big but. The Ontario Hockey League is one step below the National Hockey League. Some players will come right out of the Ontario Hockey League and step up into the National Hockey League. Some broadcasters do the same thing. Victor Findlay's calling NHL games right now. Mike Luck, my buddy in Oshawa, is calling both Jens and NHL games right now. Johnny Bartlett was calling games in Barrie years ago. Now he's on the national stage. I could go on and on. That's how I just to draw directly the link between Major Junior and the National Hockey League. And when I was in St. Catharines on the weekend with a brand new owner, look, I get that you've got a lot of things to worry about and how you take care of the media or your media room is going to be way down the pecking list, but it shouldn't be hard to find some sandwiches or a box of pizza or something because we walked into that media room and there was a bowl of chips with dip and a plate of cookies. That's it. Sorry. Coffee and water, perfect. Coffee and water is perfect. But it's it's five o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. Like, you think you could put something out? And look, it's not just, it was one of the weirdest media room experiences I've ever had. It was me, my broadcast partner, our bus driver, and the guy that we call the director of everything with the kitchen arrangers, Dom Hedig, who does all of these different things for the team. But it was just the four of us. There was a TV on the wall that wasn't on. It was dead quiet. So people kind of drifted in and drifted out. I didn't see a single scout. I didn't see a single member. No, briefly, I saw one member of uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs television crew. But the media room is a place where we gather, not just to make notes, but have conversations. Enjoy that cup of coffee and that little bit to eat. We, We talk to one another about... The games that we've just seen, the players that are doing well, all of these different things. There was none of that energy. There was none of that opportunity. And I think that opportunity is lost because of the way that you're running your media room there. And I know, I know how entitled this sounds and how selfish this sounds. But if you want your team to get coverage, you need two things. One, you need to attract the media to your games. And two, if you want positive coverage, put them in a good mood. And do you know what will put them in a good mood? Just a little bit. Just a little bit of food in their belly and that cup of coffee. It's not a whole lot. But I I honestly think as crazy as this is going to sound, I think the league needs to set some sort of minimum standard for this. Because what was going on there was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. I, I know you've been busy making 27 trades this year. Just find some sandwiches. I'm sure they're there's any restaurant in town in exchange for some advertising on a program that you sell to fans, will give you the food for free. We call that contra. Honestly, it's, it was embarrassing. I'm done. It was embarrassing.
1: I'm done. I'm just, I'm just wondering, Mike, if uh, ownership may have heard previous podcasts on how we felt about their 27 trades. And this was just your media room layout for the weekend. I'm just It might've been. It might've been. but i did i did hear chips and cookies and i'm not sure i see the problem quite frankly that that's that's good for me so <laughs> <laughs> but fair point you got to act like a professional organization and people will start to treat you like one including the paying customers so great point there are there are some
0: media rooms now that go like over and above it's i, I don't mean to single out the place where i do 34 games but the one meal this week cuz they got a new caterer village caterer and kitchener is doing the rangers media room we sat down to a, a turkey dinner with all the fixins one night before a game like that's ridiculous for a hot I'm, I'm telling you a slice of pizza or a little sandwich is fine but so some have gone like crazy extreme on the good side but this is just it, honestly in my opinion i would call it unacceptable i've had the privilege also of having worked some pro games, and in in the NHL, you might as well like dress up for dinner in the media room because you got like real silverware and and like real food and ice cream and things like that. And they bring stats to you between periods. You don't have to go and and get them yourself or keep them yourself. They bring all this stuff to you. I've done an NCAA tournament, same thing. Well, and maybe it's because it was a tournament, but. Oh my goodness. I I think there should be just a bare minimum standard. A attract people to your arena, which is a gorgeous arena so that they can see your players and rank your players and maybe see your players take the next step. And then, yeah, you've, I'm sure you've been to a restaurant before, Dan, where no matter how good the food is, if the service wasn't quite there for you, you're not going to have the best, you know, feeling from that night out. Well, if you go to the place and you can't even get a sandwich, like I'll tell you what, the home broadcasters don't even come to the media room because they know they just have to go buy food on the concourse anyway. They'll go get their food somewhere else. I, anyway, I, I know how selfish that sounds, but I think there should be a minimum standard. That's it.
1: I'm done. Oh, fair enough. You, you bring a bag lunch next time, Niagara, I guess. Then <laughs> that's how it's going to roll in that city, apparently. So
0: I have heard, I have heard that you have to uh, i've heard that it's it's worse in both hamilton and barry this year i haven't been yet so i will reserve judgment until i'm there but i'm actually in both of those places in the next couple of weeks but anyway uh i will uh i will leave it at that and i will i will add i'll put a little cherry on top of the sunday that's a last place team in st Catharines. and let me tell you the game that i was treated to on the weekend between the Rangers and ice dogs was one of the most entertaining games I've seen all year. I'm sure neither coach loved it, but that ice dogs team did not quit, did not quit full marks for that. A six, five finish, like back and forth, back and forth. It was exciting as hell. And they had 4,900 fans in there. 49 13 was the announced attendance and it was great atmosphere. Or a last place team. So something that they're doing there, maybe they don't need me to be well-fed because they've got something going right. That was a fantastic environment, a great game, highly entertaining.
1: Yeah. And I know I'm just, there were an awful lot of Kitchener teams in town that that weekend too, for the tournament. So potentially that weighed into the crowd, who knows, but uh, it was kind of that 1980s Leafs dynamic in that game, eh? Like six, five last shot wins. It's entertaining. Well, and even if it was a casual fan checking it
0: out for the first time because of that hockey tournament, guess what? They will go see another Ontario Hockey League game with that kind of entertainment value. So, okay, I'll move on. Again, at Farwell underscore OHL, Dan is at Dan Mahar, but he's not complaining about the lack of food in the media room because he's a spoiled brat. Let me know how you feel. OHL podcast at Rogers dot com. I just think I think a minimum standard would make some sense here uh okay friday's feature interview i think you're gonna like this one a former ottawa 67 and if you were to look dan at the 1981 nhl entry draft you're gonna see dale howard go number one and then you're gonna see this guy go number two and with no disrespect to this guy i didn't know the answer right right off the top of my head when i booked him for the interview so it and not only did he have a good enough junior career to be the second overall pick into the national hockey league, but he's got an incredible story of resilience and determination. And I think we'll all be going through some walls by the time we're done. He's so honest too. I think you're going to like it. I can't wait for that. (laughs) Sounds like there's some stories in that career. There are definitely some stories. They're coming up on the next edition of the OHL podcast, which comes your way on Friday.